0: Shakespeare wrote in one of his plays he said the way to this sad time we must obey we must speak what we feel not what we ought to say and I want to make all of you aware today of a sad time and I'm going to speak what I feel this morning Jeremiah was a solitary man of God he was in a nation that was corrupt and sinful and rushing to ruin his heart was broken by the wickedness of his generation. And his soul was so burdened that he was known as the weeping prophet. He tried to keep silent, but God's word was as a fire that was shut up in his bones. And he was weary with stain. And finally he had to speak. Maybe the people in his day thought he was high strung. And he was nervous, the nervous type and... Was getting carried away with little situations and they probably said Jeremiah don't get so excited and don't don't get too worried you can't convert the world anyway and there's really not too much you can do about the situation just take it easy but in the book of Lamentations as he looked at the desolation of the city of Jerusalem and saw that it was burned with fire and he said my weep then my eyes run down with tears because the children are desolate and destroyed. And he said, because the enemy has prevailed. And as he sat there in his tears, he asked Judah, he said, is it nothing to you, ye that pass by? He said, how can you be so insensitive? How can you be so hardened? And how can you be so calloused? Is it nothing to you? And if there was ever a time for the church and the Sunday school and for teachers to be sensitive, and to be alert and to be aware of the needs of children. It is today because I feel that the children are being destroyed and that they are desolate and that the enemy is prevailing. And I want to say today, is it nothing to you that passed by? Is it nothing to you that 20 million children and teenagers live with one or two alcoholic parents? And that 60% of all alcoholics today had at least one alcoholic parent. That means out of those 20 million children, that 20 million of them will probably be an alcoholic before they're 21 years old. Is it nothing to you that in 1977, there were 2,176,000 marriages and 1,090,000 divorces? That the divorce rate has increased 700% in the last 100 years that 99% of all the homes in America have a television and that it is watched on the average of six hours and 14 minutes every day. Is it nothing to you that one million children are physically abused every year? Two million children died in 1978, six every day. One every four hours dies because they are burned with cigarettes Cut up with razors, burned with irons, locked up in the closets, their ribs are broken, their arms and their legs are broken. This is the third leading cause of the death of children in the United States. Is it nothing to you that one million children a year are sexually abused, that the average age is between 11 and and 14 years old. They've been abused as young as four months old. 100 every day in Illinois. 1000 every day in New York City. Are sexually abused. One out of every four girls will be sexually abused by the time she is 18 years old. Is it nothing to you that 40 to 60,000 children are the victims of incest every year? That the average age is 11 years old? 40 percent of all female drug addicts are the victims of incest. Eighty percent of all the prostitutes in the United States were the victims of incest, and the effects are so horrible. It it brings on migraine headaches, depression, suicidal impulses, self-hate, hopelessness. Because the children are so in such a state of tragedy, after an occurrence of incest, Is it nothing to you that one out of eight women that give birth are unmarried? That there were 9,000 babies born to girls 11 years old and younger in 1978? And that the death rate is 70% higher for these young girls? By in 1980 there's going to be 1 million unwanted pregnancies and the average age is going to be to girls under 15 years of age. Is it nothing to you that 90% of all the pornography in the world is produced in the United States? That there are 500,000 helpless children used in pornography and the average age is seven to 15 years old. In fact, one time there was a seven month year old baby girl that was used in a pornographic movie. There are 300,000, probably one million Child prostitutes in the United States in the age of 10 to 14 years old. There's a BD epidemic of gonorrhea of the throat. They have found it in infants as young as 18 months of age. Is it nothing to you that the child rate of suicide is increasing and soaring? Suicidal impulses can be ingrained in a child as young as three months old. In 1978, 5,000 children under 18 years old committed suicide. They bang their heads against the walls till they had a concussion and died. They throw themselves in front of cars and in front of trucks. They take scissors and stab themselves in the chest because they feel so hopeless and in such a feeling of despair. 5,000 died, but 400,000 tried to kill themselves but were unsuccessful. Is it nothing to you that... The increasing number of children under 15 are suffering from such things as tension, ulcers, asthma. That 27% of all the mental health patients in the United States are under 19 years of age. That over one million children ran away from home last year because of the situation. I read where one girl, 15, had run away. She was hitchhiking and a man picked her up, sexually assaulted her beat her, and then hacked off both of her arms at the elbows. And there are millions of children like this, is it nothing to you, that when children should be carefree and happy, they are loaded down with depression, they have strong feelings of anger and frustration, guilt and resentment, hopelessness and rejection. When we are living in a society that glamorizes premarital sex, it condones homosexuality and abortion. There's no absolutes. There's no right or wrong. There's no moral law there's no guidelines, there's no self-esteem. If we ever needed Sunday schools and the presence of God and someone to reach out to children, it's today. I read where two children paid $60 to have their father shot in the city of Chicago. They sat in the living room as he walked in the door as another young man pulled the trigger. They left their father's body laying in the kitchen for four days they walked over him as they cooked their meals sixty dollars because they had no feelings of guilt they were so hard and they were so callous. Someone says, "Give me one reason for having Sunday schools." I'll give you 65 million reasons, and they're all under 17 years of age. 65 million children in the United States of America. Dr. Denson Gerber said that children today are literally being murdered emotionally and spiritually. They are being murdered. A Nobel Prize winner by the name of Gabriel Mistro said, we are guilty of many errors and many faults, but our worst crime is is abandoning the children, neglecting the fountain of life. Many things we need can wait, but the children cannot. Right now is the time his bones are being formed, his blood is being made, his senses are being developed. To him we cannot answer tomorrow, his name is today. Yet many times in Pentecost our priorities change. Campus ministry, deaf ministry, bus ministry. Now there's a bad backlash on that as buses are being sold. Now it's search for truth, but God forbid that in all of our changing of priorities that the children are ever neglected and that the children are ever totally abandoned. The idea of Sunday school was started a lot earlier than Robert Rakes. Because there was a man by the name of Jesus one time that was teaching. And some people wanted to bring their children to him and have them touch them and bless them. And his disciples rebuked them. And they forbid the children to come. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was not just a little bit displeased. He was much displeased. And he rebuked his disciples. And he said, suffer little children to come unto me. And forbid them not sometimes we still may have some disciples that want to forbid children to come and keep them at arm's length away from the presence of the Lord. But Jesus is still saying today, I want you to allow the little children to come unto me. I still want to touch them and I still want to press them. Jesus even said it is better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you are cast into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones that would be Even me, I mean, children that are abused spiritually, are abused emotionally and mentally and physically and sexually. God forbid that they walk when they walk into our Sunday schools and in our churches on a Sunday morning that we abuse them spiritually, that we do hurt to them spiritually. And I declare unto you today, Pentecostal church pastors and teachers, that we are guilty of spiritual child abuse if we are not evangelistic in our Sunday schools and we do not reach for their souls cookies and Kool-Aid is not enough. Just a simple craft is not enough. Oh, God help us today to somehow reach for the conversion of children. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse if they don't hear the gospel every Sunday. If they don't hear about the death and the burial, the resurrection, about the sweet release of repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the sweet infilling of the Holy Ghost. We are guilty of child abuse of child to be spiritually if we never turn every bench into an altar, lay our hands upon their heads, and begin to weep and pray for them that the Spirit of the Lord would enter into their soul. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse when there's no spiritual purpose. We don't have Sunday schools just because the Baptists do, just because the Lutherans do, but thank God that this promise is unto you, and it's unto your children, and we have something Spiritual and eternal that we can put into their hearts and we can put into their souls. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse. Amen when our teachers are carnal, worldly, prayerless, they really don't care. It's just a job, it's just a chore, and they're glad when it's all over. When teachers are not spiritually sensitive, when they really don't care whether they're touched with the Spirit of God or not. We're guilty of spiritual child abuse, when at Easter time, we call their attention to a rabbit and to a bunch of eggs, instead of to a resurrection and to an empty tomb. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse when we have time wasters and time fillers in our classroom. We get away from the Word of God and things become the substitute for truth, amen, that can set them free. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse when pimps and perverts will take time to go to bus depots and malls and find little children and bring them into prostitution. And we don't take time to go out and visit their homes. knock on their doors and recruit them for Jesus Christ. Amen, and get them into the kingdom of heaven. Amen, we are guilty of spiritual child abuse when we have all kinds of magazines and paperback novels in our homes, but yet we don't have any money to buy literature for our Sunday schools. We are guilty when we spend more money on dog food and cat food and the parakeets than we do in the condition of the souls of our Sunday schools. Amen, we are guilty when, the, when our houses... Even when we dwell in our sealed houses, and the house of God lies in waste, when we have no materials, no bulletin boards, amen, nothing decent. We are guilty of spiritual child abuse when our classrooms are dirty and dingy, and the walls are cruddy, and there's dirt in the corners, and there's dim light bulbs hanging from the ceiling. I believe that Sunday schools can be the bright spot, of a child's life. What kind of a doctor would it be if you go to him bruised and he said, I cannot heal you. What kind of Sunday schools do we have? When kids are coming in, bruised and broken and beaten and the presence of God is never there and the Sunday schools can't heal. We never introduce them to a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. They don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. They don't have a natural father but they have a heavenly father. Amen. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. They might have an old cruddy home here but they can have a mansion in glory. Oh, Jesus. Amen. When they have no self esteem and they feel so worthless, and Jesus loves them. I believe in Sunday school because it's the only hope. It is the only hope. I'm a full time evangelist. I don't have a church, but at our camp in Wisconsin, We bring in bus children to our junior camp. We have kids in there that are abused and they have problems. I can't even tell you about them. But we had one boy. Both of his parents were alcoholics. Just 11 years old. All I did was put my hand on his shoulder and he pulled away. He was so rebellious and hard and didn't want to be involved with anything. But after a while, the love of the teachers and the concern began to reach out to him. And on Thursday night of the camp, with his hands raised, God filled them with the Holy Ghost. And he began to speak with other tongues. I don't know if his parents will ever be saved. And in a home where his father beats them and he hears cursing and swearing. There's a holy presence of God down in the depths of his soul. He knows that every Sunday he can go to a church where a teacher will love him and hug him, amen, and hold his hand and give him some spiritual truth. Down in the depths of his heart, down in the depths of his soul, is it nothing to you that there's one organization in this country that set a goal of having 2,500,000 conversions Of children in their church this year and sometimes in Pentecost we say they're just children. They're just children. They're not just children. They are souls. They are more valuable than all the gold and all the silver in the world and it's going to stand an indictment against us that here's a church that wants to reach two million children for God and sometimes we don't even talk about child conversions. Because the promise is unto you, and to your children. Let's everyone say children, children. I believe in Sunday school. Teachers, let's not only teach them, let's give them the gospel. And let's get the presence of God in their hearts. Amen. What
1: will you do with it? You must decide. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Isaiah 58 and one. The Sunday School lesson sheet that you have in your hand for this Sunday is entitled God's Ministers. The lesson outline includes know them the minister's service, the deception of ungodly leaders the minister's burden, love, service, Obey them, esteem them. As you well know, this is a second consecutive lesson on the ministry, the ministry in this quarter. The emphasis today is placed upon the attitude of the laity toward the minister. And I'm sure that every pastor would just love to be at home today and preach this lesson to his congregation. Obey them that have the rule over you. Honor them, submit to them. But there is a reason why. And I will not dwell upon that phase of the lesson today. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit to them, honor them. Because if I personally believe that if a man will obey the Lord in his ministry, there will be a touch from the laity. Because there is a deep desire among the hearts of people for the clear clarion call that is to go forth from the pulpit. And so I would like to use the words of Isaiah as he exhorted and he said, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. That does not mean to yell, a trumpet doesn't yell. It doesn't mean to climb to the housetop and scream, a trumpet never screams. It doesn't mean to stand on the street corner and howl. A trumpet doesn't howl. A trumpet is a musical instrument and sounds a musical tone. It never screeches. It never thunders. The prophet is not placing emphasis upon the instrument as such. But he is exhorting the Hebrews of his day to lift up their voices musically. But not just musically. He is thinking something in a more peculiar sense in the voice of the trumpet. You see, he had been listening to the conversation of the people of Jerusalem And there is something lacking. He misses something. He misses the clear note of the trumpet. That something that lies in the heart of the tone of a trumpet was absent from the conversation which he was hearing in Jerusalem. Let me, for just a moment this morning, describe to you the tone of a trumpet. First of all, it's a positive tone. It doesn't apologize nor waver. It's bold. It's aggressive. It's far different from the tone of a flute. A flute is almost apologetic. It's like velvet. And when you hear it, it says, I hope I'm not disturbing you but the trumpet it's penetrating it really goes in it finds the corpuscles of the blood it sets the nerves vibrating it awakens the mind you can't sleep when a trumpet's blowing it moves to action it appeals to the will. many a service man has been awakened in the wee hours of the morning by the sound of a trumpet that's saying I can't get them up I can't get them up I can't get them up but it does get them up there are some instruments that appeal to the heart take the violin the beauty of its sound it's almost a subtle sound it'll change your mood it's easy listening There are some instruments that appeal to the imagination. Take the harp as it's played, string after string. It makes us dream. I love the sound of the harp. I don't want to just dream. The trumpet urges us to action. Like John the Baptist preaching, they emptied the cities and went out to the riverbanks to hear that voice that was like a trumpet. Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and his voice as a trumpet was so penetrating that deep within those that heard came the spontaneous cry that they had not planned to say nor to question nor to mention but they said it because the trumpet-like voice urged them on and they said men and brethren what must we do and he told them without any hesitation and three thousand did it that same day three thousand did it that same day and this is the tone that we need today when i listen to the conversation of the church world today i too like Isaiah, missed something. I miss the note of the trumpet. We don't speak with the voice of the trumpet. We are browbeaten to a certain extent by the world. We are cowed down to silence by the big city that we live in. But there was a man of God that has already been mentioned this morning who was well acquainted with the spiritual fitness. And that was Jeremiah. From the first until the last record of that man in Scripture, he is seen in a very difficult place. From him, we can learn how to live in a time of crisis and remain steadfast. In a time of decadence, corruption, and greed, of natural and religious stupidity in a time of violence and vice. Through Jeremiah, we see how to live straight before God and to fulfill our calling. Jeremiah was a priest of acute sensitivity. He began his public ministry under the king called Josiah, sometimes referred to as good king Josiah, who was killed in the battle in Israel in Megiddo, and immediately following Josiah in rapid succession there came four weak, very weak kings. This was the darkest period of his country's history, a period of degradation, a period of tumult. The policies embraced by those kings were not only short-sighted, but they were sinful. Contrary to the will of God, through their actions, they missed it a million miles. But through Jeremiah we see the ridiculous picture of Israel in that time. Paganism was flourishing and yet people went about embracing the outward accoutrement of religion. The inside was defiled. There was a form of godliness without the power. Israel had become like a frail canoe, plummeted against rapids that were rock-strewn, sailing against and along a short time only before the hammer fell. Jeremiah lived in the midst of all of that, only a handful of people would believe what he had to say he was mocked and he was hated he was reviled he was persecuted and he was imprisoned and then the babylonians smashed that nation and he was carried off into egypt even there he stubbornly and undauntedly served the lord and witnessed in jeremiah 12 We see the story of his younger ministry. He was hated and hounded by his neighbors in the village that he lived because that he became, because of all of that, he became very, very discouraged. He was confused by looking around about him. And from the depth of his soul, he cried out to God, I don't want to complain, but I would like to debate with you, Jeremiah said, on a wicked, live, prospering people, why do these scoundrels enjoy peace? You plant them, and they take root. You are always on their lips, and yet you are far from their hearts. And in this chapter, Jeremiah complains bitterly, and the Lord answers him. And the Lord said to him, and listen to me, minister, Jeremiah, if you find it exhausting to race against men on foot, how are you going to compete with your race against horses? If you are not secure in a peaceful country, How will you manage in the thickets of Jordan? The thrust of the Lord's message was very plain to Jeremiah that day. Your service so far has been pretty tough. It's hard to be hated by your own kindred and your own family. Your service has been rather tiring. But that which lies before you, that which you are going to face, That which is out there in your future is much tougher than what you have come through. So, Jeremiah, prepare to run like you have never run before. Prepare to fight like you have never fought before. The river is rising. Amen. And I believe that that's God's word today for us if we cannot walk or run with a footman how are we going to race when the horses go to going amen oh god get me ready get me ready prepare me for what's out there most of us have not as yet faced the decree or the decree of conflict that jeremiah faced amen we have not had loneliness we have not had heartache. We have not had suffering, amen, that have characterized the lives of some like Jeremiah who have named the name of Jesus in the world today, amen. Most of us in this Western world and in America, we have our families, amen, and we are, are praised by people who admire some of our ministries perhaps. and Our friends have applauded us. and Our friends have patted us on the back. We have churches in which to preach in. And oh, occasionally we have known a few tough things and a few tough problems. But for the most part we have not yet run with the horses and sooner or later the call of God may plunge you or me into situations that shall demand the absolute trust and the absolute obedience to God like it has never done before. We are browbeaten to an extent by the world that we live in. We are cowed down in silence by the big cities that surround us. Many of us don't believe in the use of the tongue in religion. We think it bad manners to speak on subjects about religion. We are vocal on every subject but salvation. We are afraid of getting into a controversy that might offend somebody. There are many who never speak, others only in a whisper. They don't think it's proper to be positive. To be positive, they say, is to be dogmatic. And to be dogmatic, they say, is to be old-fashioned. And this is the picture of the church world today. They say that there are always two sides to every question. And you must not make up your mind on which side you are, because you close your mind if you do that, and you must always be open-minded. In other words, they're saying, "Be empty-minded. You must not arrive at any conclusions that shows you are bigoted. A well-bred person, they say, has no conclusions. no conclusions. No convictions. You can't speak like a trumpet if you don't have some convictions. If you don't have some conclusions. I stand before you today a minister that has come to the conclusion that there is only one way. And I have closed my mind to everything else. Praise God. Praise God. This was the state of the society in Isaiah's day, the Jews had been beaten into silence by the Babylonians. No Jew dared lift up his voice with a sound of a trumpet. But Isaiah wanted to change them. Hear him in the 40th chapter of his book when he said, Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Behold your God. In other words, talk about God. Don't be afraid to talk about Him. Hallelujah. Then in the 58th chapter, as I've already stated, cry aloud. Cry aloud. And that more literally translated means cry with your throat. Bring your throat into your speech. Bring your throat into your words. Don't be content with just using your lips, but allow the energy of your body to come into the tone. Do not spare. Do not hold back. Talk to the people about their transgressions. Speak to a nation about its sin. Oh, it's needed today. It's needed today. We've got to get the message out. Here, man. Here, man. The church is under constant criticism, it is the target of abuse. Some sneer, others slander, others trample. What do you and I do? keep still listen and say nothing sometime we even join in with them Peter was with his enemies the enemies had said all kinds of things Peter didn't open his mouth finally he chimed in with them he was too big a coward lift up his voice we all agree that though he changed he was a sorry specimen on that occasion and I wonder how many times on occasion we are a sorry specimen of what we ought to be the Bible is criticized from every angle as has been stated so well. It's placed on the level of other books. They say it's not inspired. And we are silent again for the most part. Our voice should not be only used for defense but also for attack. It is our business to oppose evil. We are sent into this world with a message not to condemn the individual but to condemn the sin that that individual indulges in and the world is filled with all sorts of our evil of evil and we are to preach against it strange but there are some who don't believe you should condemn anything. Amen. I've heard the word love until I am almost weary of that love. I've heard the word share until I hesitate Ever to use it. I want that feeling to rise up and continue to rise up within me that when I am in the midst of the degrading sin and evil or if I face my congregation who has a need of a particular exhortation or rebuke that with the right kind of spirit I can without any hesitancy say this is the way, this is the way, I am not apologetic, but this is the way and you had better hear it, for not only is your soul at stake, but I am going to have to give an account for every one of you that listen to me. I want to be clean handed when I stand up before God. Oh, the mealy mouth, weak kneed, spineless ministry of today. And I have no one individual in mind, but I am saying that it is not just a career, laity. It is not just a profession. It is not just as an attorney or a doctor, but I would rather refer to it as. The man of God, the man of God, amen. The man of God not only has a message, but he is a message. Hallelujah. And when he is a message, there is no problem with people obeying and honoring and submitting. For they know with fear in their hearts that unless they obey, they are going to be lost. how can they hear without a preacher you cannot be saved apart from the ministry of the word i didn't say it god said it that by the foolishness of preaching the foolishness of preaching many can be saved many are saved oh let me hear the sound of the trumpet in our ministry let it be that penetrating sound amen that will go into the blood corpuscles and into the nerve fiber and down past the skin and the bones, and into the heart of individuals that will crumble at the foot of the cross, and will cry out, "What must I do?" Amen. 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 Nowadays, they don't feel like that there's anything wrong to condemn. I say some ministers don't feel that there are anything wrong to condemn. But it is said in the last days there would be those that had itching ears and a lot of preachers like to tickle those ears but the high office of the ministry is not just to preach what people want to hear. But preach to me what I need to hear. For as the course goes for above all else, I must be saved. Somebody might preach something to me that I could change in my life right now. But if I waited until the judgment, it would be too late to change. And so I must hear it. And I must preach it. Evil is running rampant. And encroaching upon the Pentecostal message is that worldliness that would like to eat away and corrode and corrupt us. Say nothing about it, Brother Beckton, and it'll go away. Oh, no, it won't. If you don't say something about it ever so often, it'll be there before you know it. So every once in a while I just jump up and down and begin to blow my trumpet and say it's this way, it's this way. But Brother Beckton, that's legalism, far from it, far from it. When I told my children as they were growing up, you have to do this and you can't go there. That was not legalism, that was the real love that made them have a character and a backbone that could stand when they became adults. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. Cry out. spare not. Amen. Is there a lay member here today that wants a mealy-mouth, spineless, weak-kneed minister? No. If we took a poll, you would say, Oh no, never, never, never. I want to hear it like it is supposed to be preached because I too want to be ready for the rapture. Amen. Amen. Let me cite just a few that might seem archaic to you. Gambling. We are rapidly becoming a nation of gamblers. Did you know that experts in ethics agree that gambling is one of the most dangerous vices today? Many times it leads to suicide Every day it drives somebody to steal Practically every case of embezzlement Or embezzling of company funds has its roots in gambling They lost So they stole to gamble again, hoping to win, to replace that that they stole. But they never do. Suicide is evident. But what are we saying about it? Oftentimes we excuse it or do it ourselves. The evil of obscenity. Many have no conception of the extent of this evil. It started with a theater many years ago. Now television, pornography, books, music. We don't listen to that music. But you'll pardon me, we've had some bad winters the last few winters in our area. And we have had the radio on constantly to get the coming weather reports and of course having it on filtered uh, in some music that we didn't want to hear, didn't plan to hear. But we heard it. Just before the next news announcement. And I want you to know I was utterly shocked. Not listening with intentional listening, I heard songs such as Torn Between Two Lovers. I heard a song that said, And I was shocked, and you'll pardon me for saying the words, I want you out of my head and into my bed before morning. That's what the world has degraded to. You think I'm not gonna blow a trumpet? We are bringing up a generation of young people as our good brother stated, many as depraved in their taste as pagans in heathen lands are in ancient Rome, right here in the United States of America. And what are we saying about it? Many are looking and reading. It's a, it's an amazing thing to me that a man or a woman who claims to be a follower of a holy God should be willing to get down and wallow in the slime that exudes from the rotten soul of consciousness, reprobates who has sold himself to the devil oh you think i'm not going to blow a trumpet am. Oh, the Word of God. The Word of God that Brother Cook handed to me. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to flip through its pages for my own personal devotion. True. But then I'm going to find in there the message for my people, for my congregation. Amen. To see them grow in the Lord and lay off the world and come out from among them. And be ye separate and touched. The unclean thing. I'm going to deliver them the truth. Amen. For he said, My word is truth. I want them to love truth with a passion. Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Nowadays, you almost have to designate sin, you have to tell them what it is. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's sin. If it was sin yesterday, it's sin today. But Brother Becton, you want to be popular. I care little for popularity, and I mean that from my heart. If it means the sacrifice of the call that god so instilled in my heart you mean brother becton you don't want to stand at the door of the foyer of your church and uh, have those people come by and say that was a pretty message this morning i don't even go to the door amen i'm not against it and i want to be friendly And our church is a friendly church but i don't go to the door to hear them say that was a pretty message this morning because it might not have been pretty amen it might not have been what they wanted to hear but when i can see them quake and shake and the spiritual gifts operate and the move of God cause them to fall Amen when I see lives changed Amen and I see them come out from the things of the world and, and give up things that I know are sin Amen It doesn't take uh, much from me to say Ladies, it's a sin for you to cut your hair It's a sin for you to paint your face even with the lightest kind of color. It's a sin for you to wear earrings in your ears. It's a sin. Oh, you didn't expect me to say that this morning and I didn't plan to say it. But it's a sin, it's not something you do if you want to do it, and don't do it if you don't want to do it, it's a sin, and sin will never enter there, amen, 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 oh I like the phrase the man of God, amen. I like that phrase and you know, you know what ministers and I'm hastening to a conclusion. Training, training yourself to close your ears to the cry of popular cries. I read an interesting story. It was about a young man who had been hired by a wealthy American industrialist to go to England. This was quite a number of years ago during the time when ships traveling between the United States and England were being torpedoed. This young man knew there was an element of danger and so he began to prepare himself in an interesting way. Every day he would fill his bathtub full of ice and get into it. At first he could stand it only a few minutes iced water in the bathtub but after a while he found that he had toughened and trained himself to stay in the icy water for several hours just before sailing he told his captain a man by the name of Duvine, what he had been doing Duvine laughed and said well I don't think you'll need that type of training where you're going. But it just so happened that the young man sailed on the Lusitania and it sank. Most of the people on board died in the Arctic's icy waters, but this young man stayed five hours in it and was picked up none the worst for where he had trained himself so every day I plunge into the icy waters training 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 hallelujah training for one of these days ministers We're going to go into those icy waters and it's whether or not we have been trained. Oh, the icy stares and the icy looks and the shrugging of the shoulders and the putting of the fingers in the ears and the shaking of their head negatively. I've watched it as i preached. But you see, I've already been in the bathtub full of ice and it doesn't bother me in the least. Hallelujah, amen, shake your head negatively. But let me tell you something, my interest is not in your personal feelings for the moment, but in the long range outcome of your soul. Hallelujah. yes hallelujah what must I do to be saved that was the question then it's the question now that can only be answered from the word of God through the mouth of the ministry amen and we're telling you laity obey them that have the rule over you for they watch for your soul amen 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 Amen. hallelujah Hallelujah. And we must, we must, we must get to that place where we are like the trumpets that sound, where we are like the trumpets that penetrate. Hallelujah. Where we are like the Word of God that will go deep, deep using the Word of God. We have an enclosing our Lord Jesus Christ as our great example. Amen. Looked at his life, life's ministry. He was always lifting up his voice like a trumpet. He was not afraid to condemn men for their vices. And I know that you're saying right now that he didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't. But he came to condemn sin. Sin. We love every individual. But it's the things that they're involved in, that we're against. He called them whited sepulchers, didn't he? Snakes and vipers. Not very tactful. Not very diplomatic. Oh, Brother Becton, in this day, you've got to be a little tactful. And a little more diplomatic. Well, pardon me if I'm not. Amen. But my Lord said, Snakes, vipers, hypocrites. He was not afraid to condemn men for their vices. All the leading classes in the city of Jerusalem hated him for that reason. They hated him. He condemned their sins. He lifted up his voice like a trumpet and they crucified him. That was the reason why they wanted him crucified. He lifted up his voice like a trumpet. And let me say this the church is never going to save the world until it is willing to be crucified. And let me further add the minister will never preach the word like it is until he too is willing to be crucified. As the noted statement has been made, when we bleed, We bless. Hallelujah. I'm not gonna ask you if you love me. That's the usual ending question after a pointed message. Saints, do you love me? They really won't be able to answer that until they get to eternity. And what they could not understand that was in the heart of a God-called minister, they'll understand it then. And maybe they'll pass down my avenue and say, I'm so happy you preached. I didn't love you then, but I love you now. Because if I had not hearkened unto the word that you preached, I would not have made it here. Oh God, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Hallelujah. That's it, Brother Cook. That's what I'm going to do with the word, but I'm going to do it with, with love because I love every soul. I hate iniquity. I hate iniquity. I hate iniquity.
2: Hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, Jesus. You've heard today the burden of the heart of three people. Thank you, Sister Tenny, for letting us know that evangelism is going to continue to be a part of the Sunday School of the future. Thank you, Brother Mackey, for stirring our hearts today to let us know that if we're lackadaisical in our job as teachers, that we're going to be committing spiritual child abuse. Oh God, I don't want to do that, do you? Amen. Thank you, Brother Beckton, for letting us know that the Word of God is going to remain an ever-living part of the United Pentecostal Church Sunday Schools. Hallelujah! I believe this morning, if anything has been clear in this service, it's the fact that the origin and the roots of Sunday School that grew out of a burden of the heart of a man, that was established on the Word of God, that came from teachers who love the problems of children and put them into their hearts and took them home with them, is going to be the same commitment that we're going to give to the United Pentecostal Church in the decade to come, that our Sunday schools are going to be reaching people. Our Sunday schools are going to be teaching people. And our Sunday schools are going to be true to God's Word and His Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Oh God, help us today to reevaluate and to recommit. It's not going to be this.